This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Warren Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. We are live today broadcasting from our home studios, uh, we have a, but we have a very special guest for the hour who's going to talk to us about all the special activities that's going on from the Federal Reserve coming to, out and support the economy, support the markets uh, in some ways. Uh, Professor Siegel, before we turn to our, our very special guest from the St. Louis Fed, uh, why don't you give us your take? What's been happening this week? The big turnaround earlier this week, a little bit, giving back some here on Friday, but a lot of a lot of support for the markets here. Yeah, a lot of support for the markets, and uh, you know, let me say how special it is that that Jim and I think you've been on our program what four or five times. Uh, that during this extremely stressful time, when I know the demands on the Fed are, are enormous. Uh, that uh, that you know you're going to spend this hour with us. Thank you so very much. Uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to go right to questions for Jim, and and of course we'll talk about what is just going on. Uh, Jim, I I just saw at 12, 60 seconds ago a headline that uh, the Federal Reserve decided that to be, let banks delay uh, certain capital requirements. Uh, uh, as as a result of this uh, the uh, the COVID crisis, I think this follows a recommendation just earlier today by the Basel uh, Group um, to cover those banks. I, I think this is a, an excellent proposal. I mean, uh, we don't want mark to market, uh, you know, which I think did did a, you know some bad damage during the financial crisis to to impair lending. Uh, during this crisis. Is, is this uh, your thoughts also? Well, um, you know, it's great to be here and, and to have a chance to talk about these things. Uh, I think one of the advantages of the pre-crisis uh, regulatory regime was that we asked banks to hold a lot more capital than they were used to in a previous era. And because of that, you have uh, enough financial strength to withstand a downturn like this. And uh, so, uh, to me, I haven't seen what this announcement is, but mm-hmm. news is coming so fast. That yeah, I know it. it <laughs> seems, <laughs> you, can't, uh, just as, you can't keep up with it. But, uh, I'm looking at my blueprint screen. I just banks. saw that come out in red as as we as we began to. To talk, so you know, I I I I don't know if you get that, uh, you get that yeah, before, well, but uh, I I think we've we've uh, let me say that uh, you know in general, I think the Fed you know has has pulled out all the stops as it absolutely should. Uh, I I I think um, uh, uh, you know they you know first going down to to, to zero and the standard rates, but then the second set. Of provisions, which of which some we're going to talk about, um, uh, are 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 really helping. I think support the psychology of the market and reduce the fear of uh, a general financial uh, breakdown. Uh, uh, let let me ask you: Are 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 you sad? Are you happy with the measures? Um, and um, are there more measures? Uh, Jay Powell, uh, you know, when he came on TV, uh, said uh, basically said we're we're not out of bullets yet, um, uh, uh, implying there are still some things he has tucked, uh, you know, in his pocket that uh, they might use if things get worse. Um, I mean, what's 
how's your feeling on what has been done and, and, and what still could be done by the Fed itself? Well, um, generally speaking, I'm very pleased with both the Fed's reaction and Congress's reaction uh, to the crisis. Uh, very Moving very, very quickly here. It's only... Uh, you know, less than two weeks ago that the FOMC met on a Sunday, uh, reduced rates to zero and started uh, implementing a lot of additional programs uh, to help market functioning. In addition, the Congress has moved with uh, great speed here. I think that they're getting uh, incredible pressure from their own constituents, and that's why you have a bill of this magnitude, as I understand it, approved unanimously by the U.S. Senate. I mean, that kind of thing does not occur in normal uh, political situations. So I think uh, we've got a lot of good things going on in terms of the policy response to this crisis. And I think we have to now execute these programs, keep people whole and businesses whole through the period of the shutdown. And there's every every hope that we can come out on the other side, turn the factories back on, uh, go back to work uh, with a healthy workforce, and uh, and everything will be fine. So I, that's what we're shooting for here. I think Chair Powell did a great job in saying we're trying to provide a bridge across this period where we're not going to have very much output or very much income because everyone's being asked to stay at home. Uh, so naturally, we're not going to be producing very much. We're not going to revenue streams are drying up. We don't have any uh, uh, revenue to pay workers. So we're we're trying to create a bridge over that period, and then there's really no reason why you can't just switch the factory back on once the virus uh, goes away, which I think will be in several months here. Uh, so uh, going back to my question, what other tools might the Fed still use that it, it might have in its back pocket uh, at the present time. Uh, that that was hinted on by uh, Chairman Chairman Powell. Well, I think uh, uh, I can't speak for the chairman, but uh, you know, in my own opinion, the thirteen three authority, which is a board of governors authority, is very powerful. And I think, uh, you know, you could design other programs if you felt like the ones that we have are not the right ones for the situation. Um, but the, the general idea is that the, the Fed can lend uh, to really anyone in a, in a crisis situation, the so-called unusual and exigent circumstances, provided that we get approval uh, through the Treasury Secretary and get meet certain other requirements that are in the Dodd-Frank law. So uh, there is a lot that can be done through that channel. Uh, we've already, uh, that, the legislation hasn't passed yet here. I think the vote is right about now. But, uh, but once it does, um, I think we've already used that authority to great effect. Uh, but we could do more. Uh, we could do other, if, if we learn as we go in the days ahead that the these particular programs aren't really getting uh, the kind of relief we need to the particular sectors of the economy that we need to get it to, then we could design other things uh, that would better meet the needs of this crisis situation. But I'm very pleased just generally with the very aggressive response uh, by the Fed and the corresponding aggressive response by the fiscal authorities. This has been unprecedented speed, as you know, uh, in uh, just watching asset prices, uh, you can see that you know we were only in mid-February, and we were talking about all-time highs in equities, and and uh, uh, then the realization came, I think, on all of us that this is going to be a far more difficult problem than we we thought at that point, and uh, and we've uh, just reacted uh, extremely well here. And just to put a, a final point on this, if you look at the 2007. 2008, 2009 period, to get this kind of stuff done took all of that time uh, before we finally made all these kinds of adjustments. And here we've done everything in a matter of weeks. So the, the compression of the time scale is, is very impressive here. The fact that you learned a lot helped a lot of these facilities oh, absolutely. put in place. Absolutely. 
let me ask you if if uh, equity markets got dis, you know uh, unruly, uh, disconnected, uh, in panicky mode, um, would you uh, support uh, or believe the Federal Reserve might buy stock ETFs uh, to support the stock market. What is your feeling on that type of program, perhaps one that has been used by uh, the, uh, the Bank of Japan, it has been used by the Bank of Hong Kong in the past? Do you think that that could ever be appropriate here in the United States? Yeah, I don't know. That's to me, that's not really getting to the heart of the uh, issue here. Um, I think you've got businesses that have been asked to shut down. They're not going to have any revenue during the shutdown period, and they have to somehow get a bridge over that period in order to get to the post uh, the post shutdown period, and then they can start up again and 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 do very well. So I think you want to help bridge over that period for particular companies. And the the effects are uneven across the economy. The BOJ has has done this. Uh, you know, they're in ETFs and so on in the in the Japanese uh, equity market. I haven't seen them like booming because of that kind of intervention. So to me, I think you better you better to just stay out of that. But what you really want is price discovery in equity markets, where um, you know traders and investors uh, like you are evaluating these companies one by one. They're looking at the business plans. They're looking at how innovative the company is. How how much you know how much profitability they'll have over the years in the future, that's exactly the kind of thing you want to be going on in the equity market. You don't really want um, uh, other kinds of intervention there that are distorting those kinds of judgments that could otherwise be made. So I think we've got the right idea about these uh, programs uh, is is more to try to get uh, appropriate market functioning in markets that are frozen up here uh, so that we can get price discovery and allow the normal market process to proceed. Professor, let me just reintroduce our guest real quick. We're talking with Jim Bullard, president and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis. Uh, Jim, just continuing on the, the ETF thread real quick. I mean, when the the equities should understand there in the new the SPV vehicle that the the Fed is providing financing for is allowing the Treasury, I guess, to hire BlackRock to to buy some credit ETFs. Where is the distinction there? You know, because the Fed hasn't been allowed to buy anything but Treasury's agencies. What is this? You know, where do you draw the line on, on credit as the thing that, that's sort of the next step? Yeah, again, I think, you know, the idea is that some markets don't seem to be uh, performing very well. Liquidity has dried up, understandably. I mean, investors are really concerned about how this is going to play out. So they're not they start to not be be willing to trade anything under any circumstances and that's the kind of situation that you don't like uh, as an economist. So you, what you want to do is allow the trades to be made, get the trades to be made in that market, get the price discovery to occur, and then uh, hopefully provide support to the general economy so that uh, people get more confident that we'll be able to get past this virus and get to the other side with a fully functioning economy. You know, coming in here, this economy was very strong, uh, 50-year low in unemployment, uh, you know, performing very well. Um, there's no reason why you can't you can't handle this virus. You really just – it's a very simple thing, really. You're just telling people to go home and take it easy for a while and let the virus go away. We're trying to wait out the virus. So go home and sit on the couch. Now, that – it's when you say it that way, it's very easy and it's very simple, and I think everyone can get their head around – uh, what's happening to actually do that as a project and handle all the ramifications across the whole economy. That's what's really tough. And that's why I've tried to get people to focus on the second quarter, because I think the second quarter is where most of this disruption will occur. Um, 
we need to be able to keep everybody whole, keep businesses whole, keep households whole through the second quarter. And then by the time we get to July 1st, that'll be a good checkpoint. We'll see where we are with the virus. Uh, maybe it will have gone away. Maybe it, maybe it will linger a little bit longer and we'll have to have to hang on a little bit longer. But it is going to be a temporary situation. Every virus in history has been temporary. So um, uh, I think that uh, we've got the right idea and Congress has the right idea and the Fed has the right idea about how to get this bridge going. But we're going to have to move fast and it's going to be a big project. And Jim, you're, of course, you know Narayana Katra-Lakota, who is former uh, president of Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, one of your colleagues. Um, uh, he uh, expressed, I don't know if you saw that, uh, quite a bit of uh, hesitation about um, uh, one of the new programs that was not instituted during the financial crisis. I think it's called the Main Street Business Lending Program, where uh, the Fed might take direct lending uh, to to businesses. He, he thought that they should stick more to financial market instruments and supporting banks uh, that are making the lending. I mean, uh, do you share some of his concerns about that program being an unprecedented move of the Federal Reserve into private enterprise? Well, it is an unprecedented move, but it's also an unprecedented uh, situation, uh, these small businesses, uh, they don't have any revenue. And, you know, how are they going to survive for 90 days or 120 days without any revenue? I mean, uh, you can't pay workers, you can't pay rent, you can't do anything. Uh, so the concern would be uh, uh, that they're not going to make it through. So we're going to keep them whole if we can through this program and and try to get to the uh, try to get to the other side. Now, that's never been tried before. Uh, the details have not been worked out. Uh, the legislation hasn't even been signed. I'm not even sure totally what all the uh, pieces of the legislation actually will, will imply here, but um, I think we can uh, run this in this special situation, and I think everyone understands that's a special situation, and then uh, these things will all expire once the once the pandemic uh, goes away, and uh, we'll put these things back in the box, and we won't intervene in this way in the future, uh, except unless there was another pandemic. You, you know, we we often hear about the term, and I think some of the new provisions came out about what's called forbearance uh, mitigation. Um, uh, uh, and it's a little confusing to me. I've been trying to understand it. When we're talking about mortgages, um, uh, are, are we, we talk, we're talking about that uh, a, uh, a mortgagor does not have to pay his, his uh, pay monthly payments um, uh, for two or three months? Do they get put at the end? Do they, do they get forgiven? Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how that works? We hear a lot about where we can delay it, but I, I, is it forgiven or is it just going to be added uh, at the end of, of the, the contract, the end of uh, the, uh, the mortgage period? Uh, do you have any insights into to what of these, these new rules that have been put out uh, actually entail? Well, I think these are great questions, and I think in any crisis, uh, we should always expect a certain amount of, uh, of chaos about trying to interpret various things. And uh, But I would stress that I think the most important thing to get our heads around here is that we're trying to get keep households whole so that they can pay their bills, uh, so that you don't have to go to, into individual payments that they're making and, and start talking about, okay, we'll reduce that by some percent or something. I mean, what you'd like to do is just have the household uh, get the same amount of income that they would in a normal month, and through that process, they'll be able to pay their bills while they're hunkering down and avoiding the virus. And then uh, once they get to the end of that, they'll, uh, they'll be able to go back to work and they'll be healthy. So uh, if we can get things to play out that way, um, we won't have to worry quite as much about uh, individual uh, 
payments on individual bills that households would be paying, such as mortgages. Um, I think, uh, you know, we did part of the legislation uh, ramps up the unemployment insurance program, and certainly St. Louis Fed has been saying that uh, that program is the one that is really designed for this situation, and I wouldn't call it unemployment insurance. I call it pandemic relief. Uh, so that one can be used to try to keep households whole, and I would actually encourage use of that program during this period, especially during the second quarter when everything shut down, because that's the kind of thing that is targeted toward the workers that are most disrupted by the shutdown and then we can get uh, income to those people uh, so they can pay their bills through this shutdown. And it's targeted, uh, you know, don't send me a check. I'm okay. Uh, we want to get relief to the people who really need it, and the unemployment insurance program will do that. So that's one avenue, one of the best avenues for uh, uh, maintaining incomes through this shutdown period. Then we've also got a business side with, uh, with you know, getting aid to businesses. But um, now that's important too. I mean, that's if done, keep I think if this is done correctly, for, I think if this weeks that that will be a loan that could be forgiven, and that's an alternative to these uh, workers going right onto unemployment insurance, is it not? That's right. So there's another way to do it is to say, okay, we'll provide support to the business, uh, and then the business keeps their workers on. And uh, and pays the workers and keeps them whole. Then they can pay their bills, and the business can pay its bills while while it's shut down. And then you come out at the other side, and uh, and everything's intact. So uh, I think that also is a is a program that uh, will work well. But I would expect businesses to make have a decision to make because they can either make a decision to say okay, I'm going to shut down and send my workers over to unemployment, or they can say, I'm going to take the uh, the support through the business support program and I'll keep my workers on. And if they do the latter approach, then they might be able to retain their special talent that they have, and they don't, they don't uh, when they start up again, they have, don't have to go searching for all new, uh, a whole new team. Um, they'll keep everybody uh, on the payroll, they'll keep everybody in place, and they won't have to train everybody. So that's kind of a business decision there uh, as to whether you'd like to keep your team in place so that when you open up, you know, sometime in the summer, uh, you'll have everybody ready to go. Another business that might make the decision that they're going to lay off workers um, instead then when they start up, they might have more trouble because they have to scramble around, do a lot of training, and uh, that might hurt their profitability after the startup occurs. So I think there's a there's a business decision that has to be made there and is being made there uh, by the millions of businesses across the country. I also but believe, some, but from and follow up on that, that that if you do stay open and you know and pay your employees, you also have to keep current with your rent. I think that was one of the provisions, so that 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 is one of the the costs of that. But I, I want to. This is related. I, I want to shift to the so important work that you are doing, and the Federal Reserve, St. Louis, is doing. Really, I think the best work on what the impact of this is going to be on on GDP in our country. Um, and unemployment in our country. And I have to say, Jim, you you scared a lot of people. I, we're you, you were talking about 30% potential yeah. unemployment. Yeah, um, um, do you still feel that uh, things can get that extreme, or do you think that the current conditions uh, have, have, have mitigated uh, that extreme? Yeah, I mean, I do, I do stick by that. And the, um, the, we have a blog on this uh, for those that want to see it. Uh, which puts some bounds on where we think the unemployment rate will go. But, uh, you, you know, with a, if you don't want to read the blog, I'll just tell you what it says. It says somewhere between 10 and 40, uh, 10 and 40 percent. And, uh, you know, again, I think this is a special situation and it's a crisis situation. And one thing that's always very hard in a crisis is to adjust your mindset fast enough 
with everything that's happening. And and I do not think that the macroeconomics uh, forecasting community and others, observers of markets like you and me, we haven't been able to move fast enough to, to internalize how big this is and how big the magnitudes are. But it's not the same animal, I think, as other recessions because you're voluntarily shutting down the economy uh, because you want to get, you want to make an investment in public health. You want to get better public health out of this. And you're telling everybody to go home and take it easy because you don't want to spread this virus. But this means shutting down all these businesses and, and shutting down all these incomes and the revenue streams are stopping. So, um, you know, I think uh, we've done some calculations about, uh, you know, just how many sectors of the economy are being shut down. And really, it's if you listen to health officials, they'll say everything except absolutely essential goods and services is supposed to be shut down. And, um, you know, those things that can be done as a work from home. Uh, those can continue, but I don't think that much production can be done as work from home. We think it's, you know, not that, you know, it's, there's a segment of society that can do that, but it's not that big. And so what's happening is, you know, all those other people are going to have to go, uh, you know, or could go to the unemployment line. So if that happens, uh, and let's call it pandemic relief, then you could get numbers that are very high. And the unemployment insurance report, uh, claims report that we saw yesterday showed just the kind of scale that we're talking about here. Um, that was 3.2 million, if I have the number right. That is, you know, more than four times anything that's been observed, even during the 1980-82 period or during the 2007-2009 period. It's four times bigger than any of that. So that just shows you the magnitudes that we're talking about. But in some ways, it's less worrisome than those other episodes because there's nothing really wrong with the economy here. We're just trying to make an investment in public health. We're trying to get people to cool it, take it easy, hunker down, and stay at home so that we don't spread this virus anymore. And then we'll come back and, and start back up when the virus goes away. So. Uh, I want. I kind of want to see intensive use of the unemployment insurance program uh, because it means that we're keeping these households whole during this period, and it means that they'll be able to pay their bills, and that that will prevent other problems from occurring in the economy if we can execute that properly. You know, when we talk about unemployment r- rates and the, the, the household survey, which does determine the unemployment rates. Um, one of the you know the question that's answered are you actively uh seeking uh work now uh, there'll be a lot of people that'll be laid off they'll be getting unemployment insurance and hoping to be gone back i mean is is that official number the one that you think might go as high as forty percent? Um, given the, the type of question that is, you know, that forms our historical series, uh, it, it, it seems that uh, it might not get that high, um, even though these people might not be working as long as they're not saying they're actively seeking work, resumes, etc. Uh, they're not counted as un- unemployed. Is that not correct? Well, uh, you make a great point. So this is uh, the unemployment rate, as we typically talk about it, is a survey, a response to a survey. And, uh, you know, the questions are asked in a specific order, and it's unclear how people will answer those questions during uh, during the shutdown. But still, I think from a macroeconomics point of view, um if they're sitting at home and they're collecting uh, they're collecting a check through the unemployment insurance office, that those would be considered the insured uh, unemployment rate. You'd expect that to go way up because we want them to use that program in order to keep them whole. And uh, we're trying to estimate how many people would use that program. Uh, I'm not sure how people will answer the question. Yeah, I mean, so maybe uh, so the unemployment kind of rate, yeah. even though that classically has been used, is not going to be very useful in terms of talking about what fraction of the workforce is 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 is, is really not working. 
And, and Jim, you know, one of the things we started at the top of the show, what are the different measures could the Fed do? Uh, just bring a little bit of the discussion to interest rates. I saw some of the, the treasuries were starting to get negative yields at the, at the short end of the curve. Any commentary on sort of negative rates? I mean, we talked about whether the Fed would ever go negative, uh, but, but naturally, you know, or just some of the, 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 the pressure for bond buying now is, is sending some of those yields negative. What do you think about what's going on there? Yeah, uh, I've seen uh, a little bit of that. Uh, I think my general feeling is that negative rates haven't really worked that well in Japan and in Europe. I think they're a very marginal uh, kind of policy, um, hopelessly inadequate for the kind of thing that we're facing here. So I think the decision uh, by the chair and the board of governors to go to the 13-3 programs is absolutely the right one in this environment. And uh, those are much more powerful tools that we can use. Um, so the thinking on negative rates in the U.S. has been that the, ne- the short-term funding markets are very different in the U.S. than they are in Japan or in Europe. And so uh, we'd probably do more harm than good uh, by trying to go to that kind of policy. And I don't think it would have much effect anyway. And so because of those two considerations, I think uh, I think that's unlikely. I, I agree. I think what the Fed has done is, is far more important. Also, believe there's there's now evidence that as you keep on going zero or negative, you're really hurting the banking industry and financial institutions. Uh, their margins get totally squeezed, and so you're stopping credit from flowing from those important institutions, even though you might be on the margin lowering certain uh, you know LIBOR rates to to the borrowers. Um, Jim, switching back to the impact on our economy, which you know you're you're working on uh, uh, so importantly, uh, what kind of drop can we expect in GDP in in this second quarter? Um, uh, I know you've uh, you've worked on on that. I, I mean, are we talking about uh, you know a two percent, ten percent, twenty, thirty percent drop? Um, and, and how are you guys computing it there? Uh, uh, I also would like to just inform our, our readers is that the way our government reports quarterly GDP um, is that we actually uh, report what's called an annualized level. So, uh, in, in other words, if GDP in the second quarter is 2% lower than the first, we will report it as approximately a minus 8%. Uh, because if it continued for four quarters, that's how much it would decline, Annuals, annualized rate of uh, decline. I think our maximum has been, what is it, 5 6% uh, annualized um, in, in the post-war period, uh, maybe, maybe a touch more than that. But clearly the second quarter is going to exceed that by mammoth margins to be the worst in U.S. history. Do you not believe so, Jim? Yeah, I do, and I, I've been putting out this idea of 50% lower, um, so let me just talk about my thinking uh, behind that. Uh, first of all, I don't think anybody really knows, and we won't get a full report on GDP until uh, on second quarter GDP until we get to the end of July, so that's quite a ways away. So, But conceptually, um, I think we should think in terms of the level of GDP so let's think about the first quarter as being 100. What do you think the second quarter is going to be relative to that, given that the health authorities have asked us to shut down huge swaths of the economy and um, only produce goods and services that can be deemed essential or goods and services that can be produced by people working at home? So. Uh, my basic tenant has been that the proportion of goods and services that can meet one of those two criteria, either being essential or being able to be produced at home, is has got to be less than 50% of U.S. production. And if that's the case, then, well, you know, U.S. production is going to be down 50% from whatever it was in the first quarter. Now, people have scoffed at that, but I think that um, 
you have to take into account uh, that this is an unprecedented situation and we're intentionally trying to slow the economy down dramatically in order to get this virus under control. So in some ways, you know, it might be exactly what you want to do in this pandemic situation. Those will, but like you say, these are unprecedented numbers. Now, let me just, let me just, uh, talk about the Morgan Stanley uh, forecast for the second quarter, which was minus 30%, uh, and just talk about that for a minute. So now, like is that say, annualized or, or not? They're uh, talking about 30%. My previous... Yeah, they're talking about 30% down at an annualized rate. So really... About 10%. Yeah, it's really uh, 7.5%, yeah. really, uh, on quarter on quarter. So that would say that 92.5% of the economy is going to be able to meet the criteria that either they are essential or that they can produce everything that they want to produce by working at home. I just find that implausible. So I think that the the forecasting community has not come to grips with this. And uh, and we got to get our heads around uh, the magnitudes of what we're facing here. I don't fear it that much because I do think that we have the federal programs and the Fed programs in place that we can handle this. And it's all conceptually very simple because all we're doing is telling workers to stay at home for a while. But um, but I think we have to get our heads around uh, what magnitudes. Now, there are a few caveats around this. One question would be, are you talking for all three months of the second quarter or would it only occur for one month of the second quarter? So that's a big factor in what, how much you want to forecast here. Um, and uh, uh, will businesses find other ways to produce uh, during the second quarter uh, that they wouldn't have used previously? And you're certainly seeing a lot of inventiveness already uh, by businesses, which I love. Uh, where they're thinking about, well, how can I produce my good or my service uh, for this particular situation and still keep everybody healthy? Um, so a lot of companies are doing that kind of thing as well. So that might be a mitigating factor. But generally speaking, we're trying to shut down the economy to very minimal levels. So you should expect GDP to be very low in the second quarter compared to what it would be in normal times. But that would be a one-time special quarter, which had everything to do with the pandemic and really nothing to do with the long-run economic prospects of the United States. A little bit of, not pushback, but consideration here. First of all, the entire housing stock, uh, which is about a quarter, I think, of consumption or even more, I mean, that's still in place and that's giving services. I mean, that's there and it's imputed in, in all the imputed rents, et cetera, and so yeah. on. So all, all that's yeah. basically there. I mean, the governments, I mean, there are there are some layoffs, the military and, and all the rest, a lot yeah. of that now, now people say is there. Like, well, the, you know, the government is just the government, they're going to pay all their workers, but they're going to face the same kinds of issues where they don't have a revenue stream either because people aren't, you know, unless we run our programs correctly, people aren't paying their uh, taxes and stuff. So, you know, you've got all these furloughed workers, and you can say they're still producing output, but, but you know, many of them are are basically not because they can't uh, and so, since they're out of the office. So, so uh, I think there are um, questions about this, about, well, how is GDP really calculated um the government part is just calculated at cost. It's not calculated at actual production. Um, but still, I think, uh, you know, I've been impressed because, you know, you've got even manufacturing shutting down with the workers saying, well, we don't want to get infected, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, which is perfectly reasonable. But, boy, you're going to sh- shut the factory down for a while. That's, that's a big chunk of uh, U.S. output. That would have been an area where I thought you could have continued production with some precautions in place and uh, and not not be encouraging the spread of the virus, but that isn't the way this has worked out. I think a lot of companies make decisions uh, which are really to protect their workers and you know they don't they don't want anybody to get sick and so they say, well, we're just going to shut down so 
Um, there's a lot of considerations here, and we are working on this, but I think the basic point that uh, you have to expect be second much quarter to be way, way down in and Morgan, way out Goldman of, Sachs and those predictions, much lower. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean, let's, uh, thinking about the future, uh, I mean, you know, you, viruses end. We're not virologists to say when. There's a lot of debate about, you know, two months, let's say at most three months, then we get back uh, to uh, normal, whatever normal is. But this clearly is, is going to have some long-term impacts, uh, uh, accelerating some trends, causing increases in risk aversion. Uh, 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 how, what, do, what do you foresee as, as the longer-term impacts of this looking forward? I mean, 2021, is it all going to be back to normal, or what, what are going to be the changes, and, uh, and, and, and how should we look at it? Well, um, I think my baseline is still, to paraphrase Andy Warhol, you know, it's a big recession, but only for 15 minutes. Uh, you know, it's really concentrated Great. in the second quarter, and uh, and you, I want to think about it as being sort of one very anomalous quarter in U.S. macroeconomic history, which is just the numbers are just uh, totally crazy. But we know why they're totally crazy. It's because we deliberately shut down the economy to handle the virus. Now, whether it will actually be over. By July one or not, I mean nobody knows. Uh, but I'm, I want to take that as a checkpoint and kind of a focal point, and uh, that will, I think, focus everybody's thinking on how anomalous all this is going to be, um, and how unprecedented it's going to be uh, during the next couple of months. But there's every reason why you could come back. Uh, everyone kind of gets what's going on here, and so. There's no reason in my mind why you can't just come back on online, uh, start up the factories, start up the workplaces. I would expect the third quarter to be a transition quarter. There'll be at that point there will be lots of questions about reinfection and are we are we taking enough precautions and so on, and that's all appropriate. But then gradually uh, uh, we get confidence that the virus is behind us, and then I would expect the fourth quarter uh, of this year and the first quarter of next year to be boom quarters where um, this is behind us and the fundamental strength of the U.S. economy comes through again and people start doing a whole lot of things that they postponed during the pandemic period. So I, I really think that uh, we can execute all of that, but it, it's, a, it's a big project, and it's, uh, there are many, many factors and, and many things to be done during the next 90 days in order to get all that to happen. And the next 90 days are certainly going to be horrendous, and we all hope that third quarter. Uh, I mean, we, we have some people talking about a year for a vaccine. I've heard year and a half. I've heard some people maybe to the end of even 2021. I mean, we, I think we're going to get therapeutics that are going to be very helpful even earlier, uh, but uh, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to think that in the, the third quarter we're going to have uh, concerts filled 100 percent and stadiums filled 100 percent and and even airplanes. Yeah, filled 100%. I, I agree with that. Uh, but I think it'll be a transition quarter where people will uh, probably initially be nervous. Um, uh, but then eventually uh, you'll be able to get everything uh, back up and running. You know, one analogy that works pretty well is uh, cases where you have a beach community and then there's been some shark sighted out in the water. Well, nobody's going to come to the beach if there's a shark in the water. And you can tell them, uh, we chased the shark away or we caught the shark but they're going to be very nervous about going back in the water. So I think that's the kind of thing that will occur during the third quarter, even if we get down uh, to zero cases and, and so on. Uh, it'll be a, a transition period where your your um, people are initially very nervous about the whole thing, but eventually uh, you'll get confidence restored and people will go back. 
you know, a case in point was certainly uh, after 9-11. Uh, there was fear of flying, and it, it, it did take a while to recover uh, that, but, but certainly did. But uh, what, what about uh, some people are worried about trends, what this might mean for commercial real estate. This, this work at home, it's accelerated the movement. Um, I mean, for, uh, you're, you, for some it's working out very well. For others, it's not as satisfactory. Um, uh, we've already had trouble with retail before the virus. The, uh, the, you know, there's, there were questions about the, the survivability of malls before the virus. Um, uh, do you think that th this just will accelerate these trends and could have a very negative long-term Im impact on, on commercial real estate? You know, uh, I, I think there is uh, some acceleration that will probably go on in certain types of uh, trends. You're putting people in new situations. Uh, I know that with our own workforce at the St. Louis Fed and then uh, that's forcing them to experiment uh, with new technologies and new ways of, of doing business. Um, those trends were in place anyway, and, you know, they would have occurred anyway, so this would be speeding them up. Um, but there are advantages and disadvantages uh, of the work from home, and uh, I think most people, even today, and even given all the technology that's around today, I think most people prefer to have a workplace that's separate from uh, where they live day to day. But uh, that you know that that's a long-term trend in the U.S. economy. It probably will speed up a little bit uh, because of this. Let me just quickly reintroduce our guest. We'll be talking with Jim Bullard, president and CEO of the St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank. Um, Jim, I don't know if you would comment on this, but you know, you're talking about this this hopefully one quarter disruption. And we come back, we come back to work. Hopefully, we, we don't know how much permanent damage this will be. But you know, as our listeners thinking about investing in the markets, how do you think from from just what the equity markets are doing? Is do you think that this is the time that if the markets are overreacting to all the news in the sense that it's a bounce back kind of one quarter type of thing? Do you how do you how do you see about the falls that you're seeing in some of these these markets? You know, uh, <laughs> we've got. Jeremy here with uh, uh, stocks for the long run. Um, we, we, um, I guess my own view, and we kicked around ideas about equities here, is that uh, equity markets, th those companies should be marked down somewhat because they're losing a quarter of revenue uh, and a quarter of profits. But it, that shouldn't really have that big an effect uh, over the long run. They've got a lot of great ideas and productive capacity uh, going forward. So I would expect this to be a negative for the market, but not as big of a negative as maybe it's been. Um, uh, and some also, some depends on whether you think the market pricing was right uh, coming into this. Uh, so that's another, another question that you know, is always debated about whether the market's at the right level or not. But as far as the, just the impact of the, of the crisis itself, it's really just cutting out a quarter's worth of revenue and a quarter's worth of profits, which is a big hit for any company, but but also a limited hit for any company. And uh, and because it's temporary, and they have all those other quarters out there in the future, it shouldn't affect the the equity pricing all that much. And if you thought of, if you think I'm being too optimistic in concentrating everything in the second quarter. You know, okay, take two quarters away from them and and then price uh, all the future dividends uh, way out into the future. So um, so anyway, I guess uh, uh, that's just another way of restating that uh, these are pretty powerful companies that have uh, long run prospects that are pretty positive. You know, you're making exactly the point I often made uh, and been making for the last month is that if you cut off profits even to zero this year, over 90% of the value is beyond 2021. So, exactly. Uh, I couldn't say it better myself. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's only one little thing I might add as a qualification. Um, when you cut all the revenue by, you know, down to zero for a quarter, the profit uh, will be being the residual 
will be hit a lot more. Um, there's yeah. all the fixed expenses that, that have to be undertaken. Um, uh, so, you know, a, a quarter of no revenue doesn't just mean, I think, a quarter of no profit. That, that profit could, you know, go down way down to zero and, and negative and, 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 and drain the, the whole year. Uh, so, uh, I mean, that, I think that, that, that that's what the market had feared and that that drain of, of, uh, of, uh, of revenue uh, put into effect the solvency fears that I think the actions of the U.S. Congress as well as the Federal Reserve have done a lot to allay, but certainly um, not disappear, and, 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 and it's still going to be in effect. If you don't get the revenue, um, you're going to suffer a much bigger profit decline. So um, uh, I think yeah, that... But again, that's, yeah, again that's, those programs are designed to, uh, to try to keep companies whole uh, uh, through this period, uh, and so that should uh, mitigate all those kinds of fears. I, I do think that the markets were very legitimately, you know, they're trying to price in whether some of these companies wouldn't make it uh, through this through this uh, crisis. And and of course, that's something traders get paid to do, and and they should worry about that. Um, but I think with the with the new package in place, um, we should be able to mitigate the, most of those fears. Yeah, I I I I I totally agree, and I like to reemphasize what you said at the beginning, um, and, and and use a medical analogy. And uh, you know, doctors say when a patient's going to get a shock, the most important thing is that he goes into that shock being healthy. Um, and we had the healthiest economy we could imagine going into this yep. shock, um, yep. which and 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 now with all this being thrown at it, even without a vaccine yet. Um, it'll it'll tide it over. Uh, there's a few other things, you know, the the, the forbearance, the mitigation, where certain things can be suspended. But um, uh, you know, I think we finally have come forward on this. And uh, again, the future of risky assets, more than 90% is more than a year out profit. And so, uh, even at the worst end of how this crisis lasts. Um, uh, the the valuations of of the U.S. capital stock um, should in no way uh, disappear. Yeah, uh, I totally agree, and I wanted to come back. Uh, also, you said you know we're throwing a lot at this, um, which we are, uh, both in fiscal policy and monetary policy, but. I don't want to call this stimulus because I think that gets back to the fact that this is an unprecedented situation. We're intentionally shutting down a large part of the U.S. economy to handle the health uh, situation. And We got to go, Jim. Thank you so much. It's been a great show. Always president of St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank, Jim Bullard. I'm Jeremy Schwartz. Thank you, Professor Siegel. I should note our discussion is not tied to the offer of save investment products. The views of our guests are their own and not those of Wizard Chiefs affiliates. Listen to us on our Behind the Markets podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about WisdomTree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.